Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A start. Talk Recorded live. What is up, everyone? Help! Happy Monday night. It is uh, Travis and Vic's Drunken Horror Adventures. The Serial Killer series rolls on. We can call it whatever the hell we want, um, but that's what it is. And, and tonight we're talking about the most prolific serial killer in United States history. And I, and, I, and I say that the way I say that for a very good reason. Vic, what's going on, buddy? What is up, man? How we doing? Doing well, and Blake's here as well. I believe he also has Jen on the line, too. Who? Jen from Colorado. Hi, uh, Jen's listening. So that's she told me she told me she wanted to listen because she, she doesn't know Ridgeway as well as some of the others. So hopefully we can educate our audience a little bit tonight. I know Blake's done a lot of research on them, and I have, too. And uh, anyway, so I called him the most prolific serial killer in United States history. It's something we talked about last week um, a little bit. <laughs> And, you know, if you look at sheer numbers, and we're talking about known numbers, um, Gary Ridgway has, well, let's be honest, he's killed more people in United States history uh, as a serial killer than anyone else. He, you know, out-butchered Bundy. He out-buried Gacy. I mean, all these guys that we know of, um, of course, we could say H.H. Holmes or whoever, but we're talking about known, you know, uh, people that he's killed. I mean, we know for a fact that, what, he's killed 49, Blake? Yes, forty-nine, and uh, they're pushing estimates up even over that. He he says that it's even up to a hundred. I'm not sure if he's just looking for credit or what the deal is. Vic, um, talk a little bit about your familiarity with Ridgeway. Well, first of all, I think he's actually uh, officially confessed to seventy-one now, so we'll see uh, where it goes from there. But uh, <clears throat> I remember when I was a uh, a young cat. Back in the you know 80s, we would always uh, there was like this little forest area where down by down in Hodgesville, Kentucky, where we would um, go and like it's down by Lincoln's birthplace, and like we'd I'd drive through there with my mom or my um, my friend's mom, and she'd always say that hey you know we heard that there's some killer on the loose and he's dumping bodies out here in, in the forest out in the woods, and as I grew older, I realized exactly what they were talking about. But I didn't really know then it, like I do now. And now that I, when I think about it and I put it all together, it, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, he was, I don't know, I, I've always sort of, like, I've really dug him just because, I mean, he's kind of like, like a Bundy, not as uh, <clears throat> not as well-known, obviously, and not as uh, well-trapped. <laughs> Not as world traveled as Bundy, but he's like a bunny on a small scale, but he's found more, if that makes sense. So, uh, you, you tell me? Yeah, I do. And actually, if I had to really think about it, I would call Ridgeway a mix of, of maybe Bundy and Robert Hansen. Um, he he was known to have killed prostitutes. That was his, 
you know, main uh, victim, obviously, because they were... I didn't realize that there were so many in the Seattle area, but apparently there are, because if you're going to kill that many, there's a hell of a lot of prostitutes out there. But um, So he had that in common with Robert Henson. And then he also had the fact that he was kind of socially awkward and, you know, just weird with Robert Hansen. Uh, Gary Ridgway was a weird dude. Um, and, <laughs> and Vic, uh, I'm, I'm going to use a term I know you you like. If you look at his IQ, dude was half a retard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, yeah, he, what he scored, like 81, I believe is what it was. Yeah, or 78. It was low. Yeah, it was 82. It was considered below average intelligence. Yeah. So this goes along with what Mike, Mike Amott told us back whenever we had uh, Doctor, the professor of uh, Department of Psychology at Radford University on about how serial killers, by and large, have low IQs. But you know what's interesting about it is I kind of think they're like autistic people and that they, you know, they're good at one thing and not so much others. And Gary Ridgway was, and he didn't have a long stretch of doing this, Vic. It was maybe like three years or so, um, but... I mean, think about how many he knocked off during that time. And, you know, I'm not glorifying it. I'm just saying it's amazing. Well, it's also amazing how inept the, uh, the different police departments are were in the area. And, and being able to track down a guy that was – it's not like they weren't finding bodies. They were finding bodies, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, and they were, they were finding bodies, yeah. Yeah, yeah you say they're finding bodies and they're finding the remains and they're finding whatever and – I mean, it, it's not like he was in a big town. No, it wasn't a big area. So, I don't know, man. They just, they stuck at their job, apparently. It's the allure. That's what it is. It's the allure of the fact that you for two, three years pretty steadily, uh, bumping off people in record numbers. But it's the allure of the fact that he wasn't caught. He wasn't caught and really arrested for that crime until November 30th of 2001. You know, they arrested him outside of where he worked at Kenworth Trucking Company as a spray painter. You know, I mean, it's 30 years that he got away with murder, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of a like a compulsion for him. So let, let's get into kind of, you know, some stats and stuff on it. First of all, in a few weeks it'll be his birthday. Uh, he was born February 18, 1949. He had two brothers, and he was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. So um, but when, when we get into his past and his childhood, I, I get the feeling of kind of an Ed Gein background where his mom was – really odd, and that it had a major influence on him. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And, like, I mean, if you read some stuff with, like, you know, he was wet in his bed up until, like, the age of 14, and, you know, whenever his mom would find out about it, she would make him walk to the bathroom or whatever, like, completely naked, and then, you know, she would clean him in there or whatever. And, like, I think just stuff like that, man. Just really he, he used true. to piss himself all the time. That's why. Yeah. I mean, I, stuff like that just really screwed him up. But there, there was something that was going on before that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. I mean, he on more than one occasion as a child witnessed uh, violent arguments between his parents, and I mean, his mother was very uh, domineering, much like uh, Mrs. Gain was, you know, Ed Gain's mother. But uh, I, he developed what they call uh, I studied in college. It's called an Oedipal complex, and that's where you sort of have this infatuation with your with your mother. It's uh, sexual in nature, and uh, they got that from uh, Oedipus Rex, obviously a great literary mm-hmm. piece where. They, the title character falls in love with his mother and then kills his father. Obviously, he didn't make it to the point of killing his father. 
and, and all that good stuff. But, yeah, that's what it was. I mean, you know, like you said, you know, she every time he would, you know, urinate on himself, they'd send him to, she'd send him to the uh, bathroom and, uh, uh, you know, make him go naked and, you know, bathe him. And, and it was just really disturbing for him, you know. And, and I mean, he was embarrassed by it, but it also aroused him. And, and that's, like I said, more of that uh, edible complex. They kind of play that up in uh, the movie Red Dragon. Um with uh, Francis Dollarhide, you know, his grandmother saying that he was a dirty little beast and she'd make him wash himself and tell him that mm-hmm. he off. I think that was sort of a, a nod to uh, Mr. Ridgway there and, and a few of the others. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, he actually, he, you know, Vic, we've talked about this in the past, and, and Blake, I know you're new to the series here, but I, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of the triad. When, when people talk about serial killers, there are three things that they look for. Um, that's animal torture, fire setting, and bedwetting. And generally, these things are obviously in childhood. And, well, as a child, he suffocated a cat. He set some fires, and he was a bedwetter until the age of 13. So he, he hit every, you know, everything in the triad. Yeah, I mean, he even tried to attempt to kill somebody. He attempted to kill a six-year-old mm-hmm. boy when he was 16, and he failed at it. But I think that was the point he really decided he wanted to make a career out of hurting people. Yeah, and he, he said something like, I just wanted to see what it felt like to kill somebody. And he thought he did kill him, I think. Yeah, he thought he did, but he he survived. And I'm sure that child you know, grew up and uh, <laughs> had loads of therapy because of that. Yeah, I bet, you know, and, and, you know, I don't have an identity of the person or anything like that, but it's kind of interesting to me. This is where things always start. Police ignored it when the boy blamed Ridgeway for the attack because, you know, Ridgeway couldn't have done it, right? I mean, here we go again. See, at the end of the day, I hate to be one of those people, but, I mean, so many things get ignored when you look at people's timelines, and Gary Ridgeway's is one of those. Yeah. So, and, and, of course, uh, to continue on, you know, with kind of where he came from and things like that, his family moved to Washington State when he was 11. We already got to the, the incident when he was 16 and stabbed a six, six-year-old. Um, and then he enlisted in the Navy and uh, when he was 20. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, he was in Vietnam, correct? Yes. Sure. And while he was there, he was diagnosed with his first case of gonorrhea. Which, it wouldn't be the first time he was diagnosed with an STD, because all I can say is, if you're going to bang nasty prostitutes, maybe you should wear some protection. Yeah. I agree. I got to think, okay, and obviously the the seeds were already planted for him being a fucked up individual, but I mean, if you need one more indictment in the the war in Vietnam, Gary Ridgway fought there. That's all you need to know. You know what I mean? I gotta assume prostitutes thing over there too. He was frequenting many prostitutes over there. That's something. No matter how much he abhorred them, he he used them. I mean, it's you know they, we get into that later with his religious background, you know, and his three marriages that failed and and all that sort of thing. But yeah, he continued to frequent these prostitutes even though they gave him diseases and he looked down on them. Like you know, I guess sex is sex to or sex is power or whatever for those people. He had a nasty habit. We'll talk about later on. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, you talked about his marriages. During the time in the Navy, he got married to uh, Claudia Craig Barrows, 
at yep. Fort Lawton, and uh, they had one kid together, and he was discharged from the Navy. And Blake, have you ever heard any info on why he was discharged? Because I'm not sure. Or was it, I mean, honorable, anything like that? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I did try to look, look into that. I know he was discharged, and um, uh, it, they don't say whether it's honorably or dishonorably. I think for those specific sake of the people and the victims, because of what ended up happening to him later, they kind of kept that under wraps because they didn't want to, I think, in a way backwards glorify him. You know, it's like, well, he was a veteran. He did this and this, because that doesn't excuse killing and murdering people. That doesn't, you know, it doesn't make that okay. So I think that's that's a deliberate part on the United States uh, Navy, you know, thing. But, I mean, I, interestingly enough, his first wife, you know, she cheated on him, which, I mean, of course, mm-hmm. he was only running around with prostitutes. I mean, it, you know, it didn't it didn't really matter, you know, I guess. He, he kind of ignored it. I mean, they ended up getting divorced in 1972, so they were only married a scant two years, but a lot happened in two years with him. Hey, the, we're, we're like... Was it four days after the anniversary of their divorce? Now, uh-huh. so kind of interesting. Anyway, yeah. um, so a year later, he didn't have any problems. It seems like getting women. I mean, I know he was picking up prostitutes because that was probably a fantasy of his. But I mean, you know, because um, almost two years later, almost, you know, he marries Marcia Lorene Winslow, and then they have a kid. You know, <laughs> nine months later, almost. So. Um, you know, that's the second son. Um, and, you know, it's just weird to me that a guy that that ends up being the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history was able to get married twice in the span of just a few years, and, and nobody was the wiser. You know, you, they didn't realize how sick and twisted he was, and if they did, they sure the hell didn't tell anybody. I guess it is, some of it, like you said, goes down to the, the ignorance on people's parts and, you know, all that. But he also, like you said, had no problem getting women very much like, um, uh, you know, Jerry Brutus and uh, Albert DeSalvo. I mean, he he was insatiable. I mean, his wives all complained later on after he was incarcerated and such that uh, he would request sex multiple times a day, and then he'd also want to go do it out in public and in really inappropriate places, so I think that was a major turnoff. It's like, you don't have a problem getting women, but once women see what you're really like, as far as that goes, that can definitely shy them away, you know, and he played the part differently around his victims, you know, because he made them all feel like he really cared, and that was, the thing was, he was, like you said, autistic, he was very high-functioning if you were going to say he was autistic, very high-functioning, because he knew later on to change his scheme and his, you know, game to uh, mm-hmm. let them be comfortable with him because that was how he was able to continue to kill them. You hear that, Vic? You're going to have to change up your routine. You can't be having sex out in public, okay? Uh, that's where I like to do it. Well, you need to stop it. You need to like something else. I'm, I don't have to be in public, but I enjoy it the most. <laughs> hey, I enjoy it. I, I mean, I, you know, sex is a great thing, but, you know, I'm sorry. I, I'm very, you know, uh, reserved about things, and I don't want a bunch of people scoping me out, man. I'm not that much of a voyeur. I mean, no. obviously, I'm not preaching celibacy. Hope not. It'd be the end of the human race. Sorry, I just went into bad Santa <laughs> mode on you all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, about five years after uh, they have this kid, 
this chick, uh, his second wife, she files a complaint with the Kent Police Department where she claims that uh, Ridgeway was harassing her over the phone about the divorce papers. So I'm assuming, you know, she's presented him with divorce papers, and she reported Ridgeway was going to get a gun and blow her boyfriend's head off, which what was Ridgeway, like 140 pounds? Yeah, That's right. what I'd always read. Little guy. I mean, I guess you would need a gun to really threaten somebody, especially a male. And there's a reason why he was killing women and not men, uh, other than the fact that he hated women or had some sort of problem with them, prostitutes in general. Yep. So he, he gets into a fight with her that same year. Apparently, they both have bad tempers. This is where Corey comes in play, Vic. You can't, you can't just keep getting... See, eventually he's going to... Well, we'll leave it at that. You get my point, Vic. Are you saying Corey's going to be a serial killer? He might. I mean, He's going to be... He, what was his name? Black uh, Black Taco. That's going to be Corey. He could be Black Taco. Are you talking Black about the Corey taco. that like, hangs out with you guys and stuff? Yes. yes. I, hope, I hope he's not listening and your asses might be on the list, man. Nah, we're <laughs> already on the list. I can guarantee you that much. Well, I'm not because he doesn't know me. So uh, That's fair enough. Uh, well, he knows you from doing the Evil Dead 2 show. Oh shit! You're right. That's oh. right. He's gonna drive on down to Tennessee, and he's gonna he's gonna bag him a Blake. <laughs> There's an idea of a bagging. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that that uh, apparently, like the day after he gets into a fight with his uh, wife at the time, he uh, chokes a prostitute or he gets accused of it, which <laughs> I I pretty much believe that, and then. Um, he, I guess he meets a new girlfriend at a park, Parents Without Partners meeting, and uh, he has sex with her in an army bunker at Fort Casey, and he, he occasionally ties her up for sex. So, I mean, you know, he's into the kinky stuff. You know, it's each their own, as long as it doesn't reach that level. If it gets to where you're, you know, a little more extreme than that, I mean, that's that's a problem. But in kinks, everybody has them, you know, about certain things, so. You don't even want to know what Vicks are. He's talked about them before. They're, uh, they're, I don't even think they're able to be broadcast. This is Travis and Vicks' drunken horror adventures. Like, this has never stopped you guys before. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Vicks going to... Who said whore? Anyway. I'm saying... So, so that that same month, whenever he picks up, the, he gets the new girlfriend. He divorces the second one, or she divorces him, whatever. And uh, yeah, I guess he's living with this this chick now, the new the new girl, and she asks him to move out by the end of the year. So you know, he meets another girlfriend uh, that same year um, through that parents without partners again, which apparently parents without partners is a place where you can just pick up you know single or uh, I guess you know divorcees or whatever. Uh, I guess. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, she, apparently she's been interviewed before, and she says he had low self-esteem and w- was unable to please his mother with his actions. And now who is that again, Vic? We go back to the Ed Gein deal as far as that's concerned. Yes, sir. Yep. And by the way, Vic, I mean, Blake, this points to your point earlier, girlfriends state that he would often demand sex two or three times a day. For anybody who wants to know what timeline I'm using, um, of course, I'm using my good buddy uh, Mike Amott's timeline from the Department of Psychology at Radford University. Always a good learning tool. You can look it up. It's not too hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this is where things start picking up for him. Um, police see him park near a Little League baseball field with uh, Kelly McGinnis, 
an 18-year-old prostitute, and I guess his uh, love for prostitutes is kind of well on its way at this point. Um, well, it's probably well past on its way, but now he's starting to do things. Because in 1982, the year of my birth, um, and Ridgeway's 33 at the time, uh, the first victims turned up near the banks of the Green River south of Seattle, and the case gets its name, which, of course, is the Green River killings. Um, and, you know, they, they started finding other, you know, uh, chicks near ravines, airports, freeways. Uh, a bunch of them have ties to prostitution, drugs, street life, and were last seen near um, what was then called the SeaTac Strip near the airport where there were many bars, dance clubs, and street life. And, again, this goes back to the Robert Hansen thing. He was picking up the lowest members of society, or Vic, if we really want to go there, Ronald Dominique. You know what I mean? He yes, was picking up yes. the people that nobody was going to miss. Yep, exactly. And, you know, one thing you have mentioned is he also uh, likes to get the other boy girls, you know, people that didn't, they didn't want to be at home. Like, Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't say that I, I understand exactly what his motives were, but after taking lots of criminal psychology and studying serial killers, as a hobby for many years, I think I've come to understand at least somewhat why he did that. I mean, he very, very strangely religious man. Like during his mm-hmm. he started becoming extremely religious and uh, proselytizing, crying after reading the Bible, quoting Bible passages, going door to door, and trying to be a more uh, luminous presence, you know, in churches and you know social gatherings around those sort of you know events. But I mean, definitely he he saw the prostitutes as. The, the lowest members of society, nobody was going to miss them. You know, he could pick on people that were of a higher caliber standing. He, he he focused on them because he saw them as the social outcast. Right. Yeah, agreed 100%. And, you know, this is something we'll get more into, but it, I have no problem with religion. If people want to be religious, that's fine, but it's just like anything else. Overabundance or over-reliance on certain things can, I think, lead to twisted people. And Gary Ridgway was one of those people, apparently he'd walk around his community with a Bible. So everybody would say it wouldn't be him. He was walking around with a Bible. But, you know, a lot of times those very people that are so reliant on the Bible are reliant on the Bible because they're so fucked up. No disagreement there. So, I mean, you know, like I said, it's kind of like it's kind of like with power. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, he thinks he has all the power in the situation. In fact, later on, he tells the cops that, I thought I was doing you guys a favor. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, I don't think he was lying there. I think he really believed that. I do. I think he thought he was cleaning up the trash, which, yep. you know, I, the, the sad thing is I'm sure there were people out there that would still agree with him to this day because – I mean, if you listen to some of the religious zealots out there, that's the type of shit that they would do if they, I guess, had the, the fortitude for it. And it's it's pretty sick, really. But um, So in 1982, Gary Ridgway is 33 years old at this point. Um, Sixteen women would go missing, and the remains of six of them would be found. I assume he was responsible for all of them. There could have been more, but 16 that we know of. And, and of course, six were found, like a... Like we said here, so um, and during the time between you know January '82 and August of '89, he lives about three miles from where the first first victims were found in the Green River, Kent, um, which is um, two one eight five nine thirty second Place Street in or Place South in SeaTac. I wonder if that place is still standing today. I don't know how much of a tourist attraction Ridgeway is out there, but you know, like with the Gacy 
Gacy House and all those, all those became tourist attractions, even though the Gacy House didn't around anymore. You know, you've got the Dahmer tour up in Wisconsin. Um, and so I just wonder about that, how, what type of popularity it is in the locale. Because, you know, there are things to do in Seattle. It's not like it's a do-nothing town, and that's the type of thing that would attract people. Absolutely. I mean, Seattle's a burgeoning place. Lots of uh, artistic movement, the grunge music movement started there with Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Mud Honey, Pearl Jam. So you've got the musical side. There's um, lots of uh, tree surgeon things going on up there. There's a busy, you know, tree surgeon industry up there and lumberjacking and all those things are big trades up there. And airports. Lots of airports, lots of, you know, planes and all that sort of thing. You know, I bet with some with some investigation, we could figure out whether or not it was, a, if, if it's a tourist, you know, attraction or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guarantee you could probably just Google it. But in the meantime, um, we go back to Parents Without Partners again, because here we go. Um, he meets his third girlfriend there. He meets his future girlfriend there on in January of 1982, um, which, you know, I talked about the span of the killings there. Um, but during that same month, you know, Leanne Wilcox, who was 16, disappears. That same uh, that same year in April 90 or 82, he's arrested during a prostitution sting on the airport strip and found guilty. Which I wonder what that I don't know what that sentence carries. Any idea? Anyone? Probably not that much. Probably a bunch of community service. Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, I, I really don't think it was anything more substantial because he was out and about very soon after. Well, without going through each one of these murders, and I don't want to take away from the people that were killed, but, I mean, it's the type of thing you guys can Google. But before or during all this time, in May or June of 82, that, that second girlfriend breaks off the relationship after the third girlfriend tells her he gave her herpes. <laughs> so, old Ridgeway, he, uh, he's firm in the belief that, you know, you can't, go to, you can't uh, die without a few SPDs, right? Damn. <laughs> so these murders take place all the way up to May of 83 and on uh, May 3rd, 1983. Well, actually, yeah, May 83, Ridgeway emerges as a suspect in the disappearance of Mary Malvar. Um, he's now 34 at this time. And, of course, he's still doing his thing. Um, people are being found, um, one of which was on... May 8th, 1983, and again, I'm skipping people because there's so many. Again, when I said most prolific serial killer in U.S. history, I'm not saying notorious. I'm saying prolific in terms of numbers. Um, uh, Police discover body of Carol Ann Christensen. Her body is found in a totem-like display with strategically placed fish, freshly ground beef on her hand, which um, pretty weird, I have to say. I don't I don't understand what he was going for there. It's some sort of religious thing? Well, sacrificial lamb is a symbol in Christian in Christian uh, uh, belief and religion and theology. Maybe there wasn't any lamb around. He thought beef would do just the same. I mean, I'm not being funny. I'm, I'm being yeah, funny. I know. I mean, I guess. Uh, it sounds as good as anything I can come up with. It, it sounds well, I mean, like it was it a short span religious. there, too. I mean, a short span. She disappeared May 3rd of 83 and was found. May 8th, a five-day lapse there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it, and let me just mention this before we go on. 
Um, Ridgeway, the reason why he was like Bundy, other than the fact that he liked to do prostitutes from behind, uh, although Bundy wasn't really prostitutes so much, he he would do them from behind and choke them out. Uh, uh, And not every single time, but that was his uh, um, one of his main methods. But the other thing, like Bundy, is he was in necrophilia, um, which we'll get into Bundy here in a little bit, but that that is co- their connection there. Um, their biggest connection that I see is that the, both of them like to uh, go visit wherever they put the bodies and go get a little something-something from the uh, the cold dead. Yeah, and, and I mean, he... He he later claimed that he started to bury the bodies so he could try to resist the urge to commit it, to commit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know if you're going to get into it or not later, but I, you know, I thought there was a there's a deeper connection there between Bundy and uh, Ridgeway, and I'm sure you and Vic are both familiar with it. Well, we're almost there. We're almost there. And, and, and uh, well, I need something to fucking talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into something before we get into the the Bundy thing, real quick though. Um, he apparently he says that he was having sex with the bodies because it was a lot cheaper than paying for a prostitute. <laughs> and I have to tell you, that's the weirdest reason I've ever heard of <laughs> to have sex yeah, with the dead body. You know, maybe the weirdest, but it maybe the best. Yes, yes, most logical. <laughs> I mean, it, it, may, it makes a good point. You know, and and I, I've talked about this, okay? So we've got I, – I don't even know how many people at this point have disappeared, have been murdered by him, and we're all the way to January of 1984 now, okay? And, again, I've got a list of people here, and I, I don't want to go through them one by one, but it's a, it's a lot. And so just now a task force for the Green River killings formed. So it took all these bodies before they really started getting their shit together and say, you know, maybe we need a united front here to track this guy down because this shit ain't slowing down anytime soon. Uh, by 84, there was 40 women that had been disappeared and killed. By 84, there was 40. Well, during 84, uh, January, February, and March, you had three more disappear. So, I mean, there you go. Uh, Ridgeway actually passes a lie detector test in 84, too, because he was one of their suspects. They were kind of watching him. They couldn't quite, you know, nail him to a wall yet. And then, Blake, this is what you wanted to get to. In January of 1985, Ted Bundy offers his assistance on this. And, you know, this is something we've talked about before, that that it didn't lead to uh, Ridgeway's um, arrest, the Bundy assistance. But I will tell you this much, his advice was solid because he's the one that told everybody or told the, the investigators that if you find a fresh grave, you need to stake it out because he will return there uh, so he can go have sex with the bodies. Absolutely. I mean, he, he developed a, the first solid criminal profile. And at the time, uh, Robert Keppel, FBI agent, was uh, heading the uh, mm-hmm. task force of the man that looking for him. And, you know, later on, there was a book that he wrote called Riverman. You know, Ted Bundy and I, you know, going at, you know, something along that line, coming, you know, trying to solve the, the uh, Green River, kill, you know, the Green River case, and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, uh, yeah, it was the River Man, Ted Bundy and I, hunt for a Green River killer. It came out in 95. But, um, yeah, he he's the first one that gave him, you know, that, that advice about the criminal profile, being that he was, you know, going to school for, you know, law and such. Bundy had a unique insight into those things and what better way to find a killer and use a killer to find a killer. They do the same thing in Silence of the Lambs, you know, Buffalo Bill. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing that I think this case influenced that movie. 
Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, to go back to Bundy, because that's one of my favorite shows that we ever had, maybe my favorite period, um, Bundy, he was an interesting cat because he was – he was just trying to stave off execution. Let's face it, he wasn't being helpful. His whole end game was to keep himself from the electric chair, which, you know, didn't pay off ultimately, but I'm sure he managed to, you know, keep it from happening with things like this because of that. But, you know, it's it's really interesting because that year in 85, it's pretty quiet. Um, now, I'm not saying that nothing happened, but I, I don't have any facts as far as anything that went on that year. So, you know, maybe Ridgeway's calming down during this year, and because this is around the time the next year he actually takes another lie detector test and passes, and I guess it picks up again for him because October 86, um, we've got someone missing. Two months, or uh, four months later, February of 87, someone missing. Two months later, a search warrant's actually issued for hair and saliva samples. From his home, so now things start to uh, start heating up a little bit, and he gets married for the third time the next year. So this dude's been yeah. married three times. Yep, and I mean it's that, that's true. Obviously, he's really trying his hand. And uh, Judith must said much later that she felt like, uh, and he said it too. He felt, you know, Gary himself said, "I felt like well, being with her, I the, the need to kill." Uh, dwindled down to almost none because I felt I was truly in love with her. And, and she actually said much later that she felt glad that loving him and being married to him and then being married together saved, you know, potential other lives. Uh, other lives. But I didn't want to get into that thing you were saying about the uh, lie detector test. It came out much later. Quality control went back and checked those records. He he actually didn't pass that first test. They said mm. that, but but he didn't pass it. They went back and looked at it. They took two, and I'm, I, if I'm not mistaken, he also ended up failing the second one, but at the time, they didn't pick up on it. He failed the first one for sure. Because I looked at well, that report and thought that was odd, you know? Well, let me just say, though, but for anybody wondering, for anybody that's maybe not familiar with it, lie detector tests are inadmissible in the court of law, so you couldn't nail them to the wall on it. But it is interesting, you know what I mean, the, the entire thing there. Um uh, with the lie detector test and what could have or what what, what happened there. Um, he moves around a little bit over the next few years. And one of the things that I note here is that in 1990, the Green River Task Force is disbanded. So they put this thing together, um, and they really weren't able to uh, capture him during the six years that it was together. No, they weren't. Or maybe they thought he passed away, that he, he had moved on and stopped or he had died. I mean, because I can't think of any other logical reason as to why they would they would disband it after such a short, you know, lifespan on it because the killings were still happening. They may not have been privy to that, but that makes no sense why they would, uh, why they would disband it. Well, and, and this is known, again, we've got a... Yeah, you're right. I mean, it actually starts... See, I'm I'm not sure if they know if it's connected though at that time, you know, because it stops for about three years. It starts again in 1990, but only for one person, and then it doesn't start up again until 98. But hey, you know, you talked about his third wife. Can you imagine what it would be like to? I don't know. It, it would have to be a very weird thing. And, and I know the obvious point is. You know, you were married to a serial killer. How did you not know? All those things that go through a person's mind. But the second part of it is that, you know, there's the bad part of it that I just talked about, but then the good part about it that you just talked about. Talk about a weird existence. I mean, how confused would you be going through life after that? Very. I mean, I I think I would need years of therapy. Hell, I need therapy anyway. But (laughs) I think think that I'd definitely need 
to know that I was sharing my bed with a killer, to know that I was sleeping with a killer, to know that I was having dinner with a killer. I mean, Jesus, it's, you talk about never being able to trust yourself again. I'm surprised that Judith Mawson doesn't have, like, serious issues, you know, being with anybody else. Because, I mean, Christ, she was married to Bundy from 1988 till his, till his capture, you know, and after, because uh, he was captured in 2001, and they stayed legally married until 2002. So, shit, that's, that's 14 years, man. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, it, it just, it, it it really is. I mean, and yet she, you know, as far as I know, didn't really have too much of a clue as what, what's going on. Now, this is where things, again, heat up. You know, I told you January 98, we've got uh, another person missing now. Um, and then in uh, 2000, this Linda Blaney, a co-worker at the Kenworth truck plant, you talked about him working at the truck plant earlier, thought he was a nice person until he nearly ran her down with his pickup and found humor in her panic. So, <laughs> he tried to run her over. Vic, Vic's laughing. He's an asshole. That's what got him. That's what got him because, you know, you come up around 2002 and they checked and um, fibers and spray paint spheres matched up with things with somebody mm-hmm. else that thing they were able to tie his ass to it. So yep. you know, he, he wasn't too careful there at the end. He was starting to slip. You got to trust that Ridgeway guy. He paints some good designs. <laughs> but anyway, so, so all right, in 2001, this is where we get a new task force formed in the Green River Killings investigation, which I have to be honest with you guys, I don't have any memory really of the Green River Killings. It wasn't like Dahmer for me. It wasn't like even Bundy or Gacy. I don't remember much about it at all. Obviously now I know a lot about it, but like Ridgeway, he was a blip on the radar, and I don't know if it was because of like the prostitute thing because it was so spread out or what it was. But this wasn't in my – I mean, again, this is why I use the term prolific and not notorious because they're two different things here. Yeah, they are. I, I wouldn't mean, even I, put him in the top five of most notorious at all. Well, no, I wouldn't either, but I will say this. I think he ended up becoming what Jack the Ripper would have been if he wouldn't have just disappeared off the uh, radar. He focused primarily on uh, prostitutes. You know, people of low, you know, mostly only prostitutes, and and that's the difference between him and Ridgeway. Ridgeway mostly focused on prostitutes, but the disturbing part for me was that there were several of those victims were underage, and they're still finding mm-hmm. bodies all the time. And that's something I want to get into later. The plea agreement that he agreed to go through mm-hmm. with, go forth with, was the weirdest agreement I've ever heard in law enforcement. All right, we'll get to that for sure. Um... You know, we're at the point in 2001, we've got this new task force forming. And and in November of 2001, Mr. Ridgway on November 16th is arrested on loitering for prostitution charges. And then 11 days later, he pleads guilty for that. Um, And then three days later, he's arrested on charges that he killed four women, Chapman, Hines, Mills, and Christensen. And he's charged for four counts of aggravated murder. You talked about what did him in earlier. He pleads not guilty to these. Uh, his wife, or he files for divorce from his third wife, Judith, in September of 2002. And then in March of 2003, he's charged with aggravated first-degree murder and the deaths of three more Green River victims. And then, well, at what point is he convicted here? It takes him a while. Yeah, they, I mean, it goes, it drags on for a couple of years. They finally sentenced his ass in 2003. 
Yeah, he finally ble- pleads guilty to 48 murders and a plea bargain in November 5th, 2003. So basically, it's dragged on for uh, two years. Not the same amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So he pleads guilty agreement. to those. Oh my God, the plea agreement was ridiculous. <laughs> Okay, so I'll I'll just name it off here real quick. November 5th, 2003, he pleads guilty to 48 murders in the plea bargain. 42 women are on the Green River list and six are not. Four of the women remain unidentified. So, um, And then, of course, a a month and a half later, he's sentenced to life without possibility parole, and his sentence did not include the suspected murders in Oregon and British Columbia. Now, Blake, you talk about the plea agreement here. The plea agreement that he agreed to was that Ridgeway would, quote, plead guilty to any and all future cases in King County where confession could be corroborated by reliable evidence. So let me break that down. He would plead guilty to any and all cases in King County if the confession could could be paired with reliable evidence, but the problem with reliable evidence is some of these bodies had been buried for 16, 17, 18 years. There was a body they found, uh, uh, I forget the, the lady's name, I hate to be disrespectful, but she went missing at North Northgate Mall back in 83, and they didn't find her, her skull until like 2005 or something. So it's like, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Evidence it takes forever, and they also said her skeleton was in another place. So they 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 theorized the skull was taken to the location where the the uh, outdoorsman found it uh, when he was going by. So it's very um, you know very it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. He like I said that was the weirdest plea agreement ever because he pled guilty, and that's what saved him from the electric chair. But, I mean, 48 life sentences plus an additional 480 years? How the hell do you serve that? Yeah. <laughs> how do you serve that? That's like George Carlin said, you know, he read about some guy who, you know, it's like uh, he got a life sentence plus two death penalties. How the hell do you serve that? You have to be Lazarus to be able to serve that, you know? Yeah, man, it's just... This this case is pretty bizarre, really, because number one, of how long he did it, I, I always I'm always blown away by the fact that you know this guy was as small as he was. You think at least one of these chicks could have fought back successfully, but I mean apparently not. I mean, have you ever heard anything about any of these chicks either getting away, uh, putting up a hell of a fight? I mean, because I don't hear any individual stories other than well, they found her body here, they found her body, and I don't know, maybe he just didn't want to talk about it. It's his victims. If you look at the list, I did a, I did a, you know, looking at some of the numbers on the ages, and some of the later ones identified that they said they're in between 12 years old to 15, and the oldest one was like 38. So it's like real young, not strong enough to put up a fight, real old, uh, you know, maybe too old to put up a decent enough fight. And he had just a way about himself. He was very charming. Another trait he shared with Mr. Bundy very charming individual, and I mean, obviously it didn't work in his marriages, because they all, all but the last one failed, you know, miserably, so uh, he just, he had a way about himself, and I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but they just recently, uh, there was some news on him last year, and now they're tying him to another disappearance, uh, NBA player Martel Webster, his mother, uh, Cora McGuirk, I think is her name, she went missing in 91, July 12th, they haven't found her body, but they say 
that he was involved in that, and, you know, he, she's been missing all that time. And her kid, Martel, was young then, so they never found her. So. It seems like at this point, no matter who they find out in that area, he's going to try to take credit for it. And, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think, I mean, like any of the other guys, I think he's gotten to the point where he likes the attention, you know? Well, right, but I mean, like I said, he's still making waves. I mean, his impact is still felt. I mean, uh, from what I gathered, May 14th of last year, he was transferred to uh, United States Penitentiary, mm-hmm. uh, Florence, outside of Colorado. And then in September of, of the same year, uh, he, <laughs> people were like, public outcry was amazing. There was discussions with their governor, and it was announced that he would be returned to Washington to be easily accessible, quote-unquote, for open murder investigations. So, yes, anybody new or any old body that they still find, anything from that's been buried, they're going to attribute to him, and probably he's going to take credit for all of them. For Christ's sake, he said he killed 71 people at least, and he, he, he confessed and was convicted on 49 of them. So, I mean, he, he's probably not lying. He probably did a hell of a lot more than what they, uh, than what they found, you know? It's it's still amazing to me that he was able to get away with it as much as he was because he's not a smart guy. He's not a big guy, so it's not like he was physically imposing enough to just you know be taking people out like the Iceman. Um, but I mean, yeah, he had a background in Nam and stuff. But I mean, there just doesn't seem possible. But it, I mean, at the same time, we've seen it before, and it, it's really weird. I mean, we haven't seen it in these numbers before, but we saw it from like a Robert Hansen. We saw, you know, th- these guys that. You know, they're kind of weird, but at the same time, nobody really thought that they were doing this, you know, do the things they do for a long period of time. And, because um, they think that they don't possess the higher brain function to even think in that realm. I mean, I'm going to compare movie stats here. Forrest Gump's IQ was 75. Ridgeway's mm-hmm. 82, so obviously he was a damn sight smarter than Tom Hanks' character. <laughs> so, you I never think, go full retard, though. <laughs> Come on, man. Damn. Really? <laughs> I knew it was happening. you got to control yourself, Travis. Control All right. Yourself. My bad. <laughs> but, but hey, you asked. You asked me. He was like, why doesn't anybody ever you know, put, tell me I'm going too far? Well, I did tonight. So this will be my – to everybody listening, this will be my last show because I'm fairly certain that I'm fired from the show. <laughs> Uh, we'll get we'll get fan hate. You know, we've been threatened with lawsuits many times before. It wouldn't be the first time, right, Vic? We got kicked off Blog Talk once. Whoops. What the hell was that about? Uh, our Bundy show. It was apparently too controversial. Now, see, uh, we, you and I talked about this a few weeks ago, about why a certain guest wouldn't come on the show because of the glamorizing of the serial killers. So, and we didn't glam- glamorize it. That was the weird thing. But it's all good. Six, six people. But I mean, yes. I mean, he's still making waves in the uh, in the news, and he'll probably still take credit for it till he, you know, the final curtain's called, man. Till he dies, he'll probably still take credit, and they'll probably blame him. I mean, because mm-hmm. it's just like everything's already been said and done. I mean, they made it. They did an ignorant thing and disbanded the task force. Years, and he still had several killings left in it. You don't do that. I mean, from what I understand, I mean, the Adam Walsh case. You know, with um, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool, they kept that thing open for years. I mean, like 30-some-odd years. I think it's still open because they're saying now that Otis Tool didn't kill him. And, uh, yep. you know, Lee Lucas confessed to it, but you can't really take his word. He's much like an unreliable narrator in a piece of uh, prose, you know. So it's 
it's it's weird. But Ridgeway, yeah, I wasn't too keen on him until I guess it was the mid nineties. I saw something on TV. It was a special on something uh, history or A and E about the Green River Killer. So I was interested because I love Nirvana, and he was killing during the time that Nirvana was actually out playing and. They're from, you know, Seattle and Aberdeen, which is right in that same general area. I mean, Seattle's only like two hours from Aberdeen. So, you, you know, and you even mentioned the British Columbia and, you know, some other things. And I'm not sure he didn't travel to other places and kill. There's a missing persons case, a Russian immigrant girl that uh, disappeared in 1983 from right up there in your area, Annie Gottlieb. She's even got a Wikipedia page about her. She disappeared from the mall. All they found was a bicycle. Never found her. So who's to say that he didn't travel outside? I mean, if he was able to avoid detection for 30-some-odd 30 30 years in one state, who's to say he didn't move on to others during the time when we only know that he took a break and only killed one or two? Maybe he killed three or four in another state. You don't know. It's always interesting to speculate on things like that. But, I mean, as far as what we know, even with just 49, I say just, um, it's just it, it, it's staggering to think that one person – Pretty much with their bare hands, although there are some reports that he stabbed a few. Um, no, no shootings that I'm aware of. Um, no, but, no I mean, he stabbed in ligatures. That was his thing. That was his milieu and his uh, his uh, modus operandi. That was his, you know, his motif. He liked to strangle and stab. Yeah, I mean, it's just... I don't know, man. It's pretty weird yeah, that he was able to... Think about it. Think about it, in a, think about it in a Freudian manner. What does a knife look like? What is the what is a knife? It's a phallic symbol. It's a phallic symbol for a penis. I mean, really, think about it. I mean, it's a knife and, and the strangling and the uh, ligatures. I mean, from behind, again, another sexual position reference, you know. He was into behind, and behind is where somebody is vulnerable. You know, it's all about domination. So just to uh, to uh, to see, have you guys watched the courtroom stuff of him where, you know, everybody's condemning him and then he cries whenever the guy says that, you know, God forgives him? See, I think that was bullshit. I know he's, I know he's uh, uh, you know, deeply religious and all that crap, but I don't think he was moved like that. I think that was a big act. It may have been. I mean, he, he he's, I think he's honestly a lot smarter that people give him credit for, but a lot of people said the same thing about Jeffrey Dahmer when he became a born-again Christian right before he died. You know, I mean, a lot of people said it was impossible that he couldn't do that. I'm not going to say it's impossible for him to not feel some remorse because look at his childhood. I mean, growing up, like you said, domineering mother, uh, you know, animal torture, arson, you know, and and all that other stuff. Those are the hallmarks of a serial killer, and, and he was he's a damaged person. Most of them are, and and I mean, it's who's to say that that's not true? I don't know if it was an act or not. I haven't seen the footage, but now that you brought it up, I'll have to uh, I'll have to check it out. It may have been an act, but I seriously think that just because he was tested with a uh, below average intelligence doesn't mean he's a dumb man. Uh, probably played that angle up, which is probably all oh, Gary. It's not like Gary could have killed 49 people. Gary's slow. Gary's not up to speed with everybody else. Gary's religious. You know, Gary keeps to himself socially awkward. He couldn't be in a car with anybody long enough to drag them into it, do this and that. It was the perfect cover. The perfect Vic, cover. Isn't that, Vic, isn't that how you get away with it? Because you're slow and, and everybody just, <laughs> you know, overlooks you? There I go, man. I'm making a good point that people would just be falling over. Now you come in with those 
<laughs> well, we got to add some levity to things, otherwise it, it gets too serious, you know. Because I this is what it is. Tame this episode. I've spent all morning covering this. Talked about it with the wife. I've been very tame. I haven't even. You know, the something Vic and I talked about off air. We talked about it uh, through Messenger. Uh, uh, Gary Ridgeway had some jungle fever, man. You know, Eleven of these chicks were black. Wow. He liked yeah. a little bit of, you know, he liked a little bit of, uh, you know, black coffee. Yeah, I mean, that's fine to <laughs> each their own. I'm, I'm not even going to acknowledge I'm not even going to He didn't want to touch it. No, but it, it was uh, 39 white, and I don't know how they get to this number because it's supposed to be 49, but whatever. 39 white, 11 black, 2 Hispanic, and 1 Native American. Yeah, I guess he just had to mix things up, but, you know. I could it afford is. it. It's going to be a, a Whitman sampler joke in there somewhere from you or me. So, Vic, let me get your thoughts on Gary Ridgeway now that we've had some time to talk about it. Kind of uh, toss him around. You know, Vic, I don't think he was in your top five whenever we did our top five serial killers. He definitely wasn't in mine. Um, he probably still isn't, but i tell you what, I'm a lot more fascinated by him than I than what I was going in to our research here. Yeah, he was a uh, his honorable mention of mine because uh, I mean I've always dug him and I've always you know look I, I almost said looked up to him. <laughs> I've always like looked into him a little further than others. Um, but like I said earlier, man, he was like a a low rent Ted Bundy to me, which. I mean, but he's a regional serial killer. You know, I like my serial killers to be more uh, well-traveled vet. Um, and, I mean, yeah, he he, he kind of went for a long time. I mean, the majority of his killings, you know, they were in a two- or three-year span. But, I mean, he was he was active for a while. I mean, there was only a few people here and there, but he went all the way up to 98, whatever it was. So, I mean, you got to respect a man that can do it for that long and uh, not get caught. And no, Blake, I'm not glorifying them, so don't tell anybody I am. <laughs> oh, I'm, oh, no, 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 no. Hey, hey, I'm not the one saying glorifying them. Don't be, don't be tossing no words over there, man. I'll come up there and bring some plastic sheeting and shit, and we'll go to town. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever it all comes down to uh, Mr. Ridgway and the things he's done, and I mean, I, I probably give him like, you know, a three out of four. Uh, Uh, Well, he's definitely got the numbers, that's for sure. So he's like one of those slashers with maybe without the substance, but it definitely had the, you know. You know, out of all the serial killers we've talked about, I believe there's only two that are still alive, and that's because they caught plea deals. And it was him and Ronald Dominique, and they both did it to avoid the death penalty, which if you listen to the life that Gary Ridgway has, I don't know why you'd want to be alive. Dude is in a cell by himself all the time, a tiny little cell. And it's like, I mean, dude should have just taken the death penalty. I mean, especially if he's so religious. There's a couple still alive, Travis. There's a couple others still alive. That we've talked about. That we've talked about. No, we haven't talked about him yet. I mean, I'm talking about Bundy, Gacy, Dahmer, um, Gein. Uh, we talked about when, Bathory. When was when was uh, when was um, Bundy's execution? Was that in '89 or was it '94? '94 was Gacy. 
89, I believe, yeah. Gabe's was, was 94 and Bundy's was 89. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were both pretty good at staving it off as best they could. All these guys are full of shit, let me just say. <laughs> Anytime you hear any of them talk, um, they're all full of shit. And I'll tell you what, there's an interview with uh, Ridgeway online, and, and he's talking to this woman, and this woman's just driving the conversation, and she's getting him to say whatever she wants him to say. And it's it's kind of like Bundy with the uh, porn thing, his last interview, where it was just all bullshit, you know what I mean, where he's just saying what the guy wanted to hear. Yeah. But it's yeah. still interesting, nonetheless. He also, uh, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about is uh, he's one of those that would, not every time, but he would keep things from his victims, but he wouldn't just keep things from his victims. He would uh, give them to whoever his girlfriend was at the time. Yep. So, you know, I guess that, see, he was, Vic, he was just all about maximizing, you know, the economy. You know, he didn't want to have sex with prostitutes that were alive because they cost money. He didn't want to have to go buy jewelry, so he just killed him. I mean, it all makes sense now. Yeah, it really does, man. If you think about it, like... He's kind of like Holmes now, now that I think about it, because Holmes killed for financial gain. Ridgeway killed because he didn't want to be in the poorhouse. <laughs> oh <my laughs> He's like a low-rent Holmes, too, isn't he? Yeah. A Dollar General, a Dollar General Homes, a fucking Equate brand, Walmart brand serial killer. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. He's my the man, generic version. My man definitely liked uh, he he definitely liked originality. You know what I'm saying? He tried to be like everybody else, and that was his downfall. He was standing on the shoulders of giants. Anyway, but you know, he he um. Again, interesting case study. Um, I think he, in a lot of ways, Vic, when you look at what a serial killer is, he epitomizes what a serial killer is. We talked earlier, the triad. He he hit every piece of that triad. And really, when you look at stats and things that serial killers do, most of the things that he did, other serial killers, like he is the blueprint for a serial killer. Tell me he's not. Oh, I agree 100% with that. I mean, everything you ever hear about anything serial killer-wise, it is him. He's the epitome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's made popular culture. I remember uh, Dexter, the second season of Dexter, uh, Sergeant Dokes, before his untimely death, mentions uh, the Green River Killer and says that uh, Agent Frank Lundy was responsible for breaking the, the case. I mean, he's, he's, he's all the time referenced in music, mostly metal, and uh, in uh, books and films and stuff. I mean, he's achieved a certain level of uh, immortality. So, I mean, maybe that was one of his things all along, you know, he's, uh, to tackle the religious aspect, you know, the idea of Jesus and the resurrection and coming back from the dead and being immortal and, you know, this sort of thing, maybe that maybe that connects with this in a way, you know, since he uses religion as his uh, motive for uh, dispatching all these people. Now, this may be a question more so for Vic than it is for you, Blake, but maybe you know as well, because I don't know if you follow the same things we follow, but um, we follow this, this um, Facebook page, it's called Death Row Art Show, where they this guy's collected all sorts of serial killer memorabilia, you know, things like AC paintings, stuff like that, that, that AC did. And I know yeah. you know about things like that. But, of course, Manson's done things. There's other serial killers that, this, that, that have done things that send this guy stuff all the time. Has anybody, either one of you, I don't care, have you guys ever heard of Ridgeway doing anything like that? Not to my knowledge. 
Vic, what about you? Nope, I've heard nothing about Ridgeway in that aspect. I think he just sits in the cell all day long and, like... Reads the Bible? Or jacks off. Or both. Well, that's what I would do. What else are you going to do? Read the Bible and jack off? On it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> the pages oh. are all stuck together. I'm, oh come on, man! I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna even. I mean, I, I have a, I have a religious belief, but like I said, it doesn't. What she said doesn't bother. You know, I'm not gonna let that bother what I, whatever. I mean, like I said, I, I don't know if the religious aspect was true or not. I mean, it sounds kind of airtight and clean and believable in a way, if you can see it that way. But I think a lot of people refuse to see it that way because they would be admitting that there's credibility in feeling that way. They'd be admitting that they had that quote-unquote dark passenger. I'm going to quote Mr. You know, Jeff Lindsay there, the writer of the Dexter books. You know, a lot of people don't like to admit that they uh, have those darker impulses. So maybe that's his way of saying even the person that seems like they're not the smartest and grew up in a super strict household and people that you know, somebody would take for, you know, would be like, oh, no, there's no, there's no way. He used that to his advantage. So, that in my opinion, he's, as far as serial killers goes, he's one of the smartest, in my opinion, because he got away with it for so long. Can you imagine what Manson would have been like if he got away with it for 30 years? Or Dahmer, or Gain, or H.H. H. Holmes, or Albert Fish, or any of those other guys? Can you imagine 30 years of that stuff? Yep. And, and you know, I think a lot of times, and I, I'm going to make a point, and this, I'm not. It, glorifying it in any way, shape, or form. But, yeah, so is that. You know, I didn't say y'all glorified it. it no, not that. that. Not that. I'm talking about something else. Um, okay, so people always, and again, this isn't me, but I'm people, um, they always have like a negative opinion of people who are like uh, part of, what was it called, Vic? Satanists? Are they part of the Church of Satan or whatever? And those are the people that are the ones that are not committing crimes. Richard Ramirez aside, because he was just fucked up and he was using that as an excuse. Um, but the people that are actually like that, because they admit they have that dark passenger that you referred to, and, and they're able to kind of, I don't know, get that out of them without doing fucked up things like Ridgeway was doing. And it's very rare that you hear things pop up with people like that. I mean, most of the time, it's somebody that's like, you know, claims to be religious. Well, not always, but you, you get you get my drift. But anyway, to uh, continue down that road, uh, there's actually <laughs> there's actually a crazy ass theory out there, and I heard this on another podcast. So credit where it's due. But there's actually a website that says that like uh, Ridgeway was pretty much framed for <laughs> Satanism that was going on in Seattle. <laughs> and that the government was part of it. And I'm like, boy, there are some crazy fuckers out there. Wow. That's <laughs> pretty awful. Jesus. They're worse than Fox Mulder. Wow. Let me, let me just let me quote uh, Charles Manson real quick and say, you know, back in the day, or and I'm going to paraphrase at least because I don't know the exact quote, but back in the day, being crazy meant something. Nowadays, everybody's crazy. Hey, that's a good point. It is. I think that's one of the best quotes, by the way. Yep. So, Gary Ridgway, again, uh, let's talk about something else about him because I I think we didn't talk about this enough. Um, Kevin M. Sullivan, when we had him on the show, 
um, and we talked about Ted Bundy. Bundy talked about how he didn't—he had been through New York, and he didn't really like New York because there wasn't enough forest. And there's something about the Pacific Northwest that either uh, obviously assists or helps motivate these guys. Blake, and again, you're in Nirvana. You're into Nirvana, and there's a depression that's obviously well known in the Pacific Northwest. What is it about the Pacific Northwest that? It does this. Is it all the rain? What is it? It's the wet. It's the weather. It's the fact that um, it's the weather. It's always unseasonably cold or you know unseasonably rainy. And in all these places where these murders and stuff were committed like that, uh, people don't want to go out into those things, especially chasing around the forest. So I can see where the forest would make a big camouflage for either a murder or dispatching of a murder, uh, victim mm-hmm. especially. Um, so, yeah, that's what it is. It's just this sense of dreariness. And, I mean, uh, you can hear it in a lot of different music. I mean, a lot of different grunge bands, not just Nirvana, but Alice in Chains, and, you know, all these other guys, Soundgarden, you know, Bad Motorfinger, Super Unknown, all these things about, all these songs about not being sure, you know, what I have, you know, what I'm doing or why, you know, I want to hurt myself before I hurt other people and, you know, uh, it ain't like that, and heroin abuse, and all this other stuff. So really, it's just like um, it's the weather. It's the it's, it's the weather. It's it's the where where it's located. Seattle. A lot of people when I think of Seattle, they think it's way the hell up and away from everything else. They 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 forget there's other states there, and they know it's not like it's secluded away. But yeah, the the weather and the idea it's very claustrophobic. And people don't want to get out in that weather because I think it affects their mood a lot. I know when it rains down here, I get tired. I really don't want to go and do anything. You know, I want to just sit around and lounge and just reflect. So I can feel that, you know. Let me ask you a question. Um, Because I love the rainy weather, but uh, I think it really does, you know, affect people, like, on a mental level. It kind of reminds me of, the movie Misery. You remember Kathy Bates's mood changed during the rain? Uh, her character? Blues. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and, and I'm just curious, I mean, how how much do you think that, you know, plays a role in it? I really think it's a nature versus nurture argument. If you brought it up into something that's normal to you and you've never been anywhere else where it's not like that, that's going to be what you perceive as the social norm. The cultural mores states that, um, what you what you're born into and what you know is what you know. Think about it simplified and just the college terms. Two or three generations, you know, before us, your great grandparents, your grandparents probably didn't have air conditioning. They didn't there was no such thing, so you can't miss what you don't have. Now we can't live without it. Yeah. I mean it, it is yeah. kind of it, yeah, a lot of times I'll think, I mean, I'll be okay, I'll be okay because they didn't have it back then, but you know, I mean, I studied this stuff when I was in college. I took a great deal of abnormal psych, and I I had somewhat of an unhealthy interest in serial killers. I mean, I studied, obviously, Freddy Krueger, serial killer, you know, and a pedophile in the boot. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. it's like, I mean, I always had this fascination with with what they do, I guess because I can acknowledge there's darkness within me, but I can also acknowledge that I don't have it in me to do that because I wake up every morning next to my beautiful wife and look at my beautiful children, and I don't want to lose any of that. No matter how bad I'm upset or how you know pissed off or angry I am, I, I don't. No matter how bad Jared pisses you off that day. 
I blame I blame Jer for all the problems in the world. Oh, don't blame don't blame it's fine. I don't hold anything against him. But if you talk to him, let him know. Lisa Wilcox. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I'll go ahead and let you. Uh, I'll let you give that away to everybody real quick before we continue on our discussion. Uh, oh. So go ahead. It's all you. All right. Well, next Monday we're going to be having our. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, this the retrospective. And, and Dream Travis, Warriors! Yeah, as Travis mentioned once before, this is almost like the start, the start of a different set of movies. This is where Freddy gets his uh, Johnny Carson from Hell routine and uh, yes. more of an affable presence and becomes more of the, uh, the anti-hero and more of the person you love. You root for him more than you root for the victims. And... Uh, uh, this was a seminal film because it was one with the highest budget, and uh, we're going to have some special, you know, some special guests on that show. We're going to have uh, Kim Segos and Rodney Eastman and uh, Mick Strong, and uh, you know, all, all, and Ira Hyden, you know, and all the good, you know, as many Dream Warriors as we can get. And then the following uh, show is the Dream Master, which again, those two, Nightmare Three and Four, are often build as the two fan favorites. They also really chronologically follow each other. The story picks up in Nightmare 4, you know, right after the events of Nightmare 3. So it looks like we're going to be having a special guest. Another special guest, we're going to have uh, Lisa Wilcox. As far as I know, she's going to participate in that show and or the Dream Child show. So we'll have Alice and we'll have Dan and we'll have Steve Johnson and we'll have Kincaid and Joey and it's going to be a good show. So everybody stay tuned. It's so badass. I'm excited about it. It's going to be awesome. Um, and, and again, I'm going to go back and watch Dream Warriors again. It's the one that I actually, uh, it's the one I watched a lot as a kid. And, and it's the one that I had the poster on my wall. We'll get into more of that next week. But to continue on our path, Vic, by the way, um, Vic, go ahead and give your theory on what it is about the uh, Pacific Northwest, buddy. Oh, it's, it's the drugs, man. It's all about the drugs and making people so depressed. The heroin, the heroin, the heroin, man, the heroin does them in. Gotcha, gotcha. Makes you a superhero too. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah, impervious to everything but guns and bullets, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, pretty much. So, anyway, uh, I don't know if is there anything you guys want to add on the the Ridgeway subject? I'm not sure we can, you know pound the point home anymore that he was uh, the the blueprint for a serial killer while at the same time being the most prolific in United States history. Again, I just want to reiterate that. And and also, guys, I I do find it weird that, you know, kind of like Ronald Dominique Vic, where you've got this high body count, you've got somebody that's so prolific, the most prolific, and as far as media, and I'm talking about movies and things like that, and I realize there's influences, but not to the extent of an Ed Dean who, you know, who knows how many he killed. We think it just a couple. But um, the, the, this guy's not as well-known as somebody like a Bundy. Or, and I realize it's all about presence, right? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. And, I mean, the only thing I really want to finish off with, uh, Ridgeway, you can talk about whatever else, but, uh, I mean, the same thing with Dominique is why why they don't rank higher on my list is, I mean, you obviously have no regard for life, like your own or anybody else's. Why cop a police? Go out like a man. I mean, you're taking everybody's life. Go out like a man and take your death penalty and be done with it. Why cop a police? It's done. Yeah. 
Bundy and Bundy and Gacy, you gotta give them both credit. They both um, they bullshitted all the way to the end, right? I mean, neither one of them took a plea. Both of them tried to. Uh, Bundy, they thought he was gonna take a plea, and then he fired his defense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, oh, it's, it's the sick psychology. I mean, think about it. Why would you want to cop a plea? Because you want to see the world fall over you. You want to see the world give you, give you massive props and give you admiration and, and notoriety for something that's so messed up and, and disturbing and, 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 you know, awful. So he's watching. He's That's what he wants. He wanted to gain admiration and notoriety. Well, us doing this show, we're giving him what he wants. He's being, you know, he's being known for something. He, he's not just a, a guy who is an idiot savant or somebody that wasn't you know, very good in life, so he chose an easy an easy thing to do to kill. So I really don't think it's easy to kill. You know, I think for him it, it became easy because obviously he failed a couple times in the beginning. You know, at killing, but I mean, I think that's what he wanted was to be not glorified, but to be you know known and 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 go down in history for doing something, albeit something terrible. And I think that's what he likes is the fact that people study what he's done. They make a career out of trying to understand that. The, uh, the depraved psychology and the serial killer possessions, you know. And speaking of getting good at it, I mean, he actually touted his career at one point. So, I mean, I guess if you're so good at something you can call it your career, then I guess uh, have at it. I just want to make a point here uh, about Ronald Dominique and, and uh, uh, Gary Ridgway. They're a couple of goofs. Okay, I, I realized they they were good at keeping it a quiet for however long they did, but they were a couple of goofs. Uh, look at them, okay? They're goofs. That's what they are. I don't know how to explain it any other way. They're just a couple of goofs. If I saw them walking down the street, I'd think they're a couple of goofs, and that's one of the reasons why they were able to get away with it, because nobody believed that they would be killing somebody because they're goofs. <laughs> that's exactly my point that I made earlier. Nobody thinks that the socially awkward, socially inept, undereducated, underdeveloped. Nobody thinks those people are capable of doing anything else. You hear that, Jaron, Corey? Blake's talking about you guys. <laughs> I need a cigarette. <laughs> Why? Did you, get, did you just get laid or, or did that, like, turn no, you on? Or? That, was my, that was my vice. I quit two years ago, but every now and then I have one. I'm almost like Paul Sheldon. Ever so often I'll have one just to, you know, Remember what it was like. <laughs> I need one right now. Since y'all are setting up a fucking fight between Jared and I don't even know Corey. I mean, I don't even know him. I mean, I know he's crazy as shit. So that's, yeah, he's that's, too stupid to listen to our show. Don't worry about it. That's not okay. <laughs> I'm glad we're in two different states. I'm, I'm very glad. <laughs> he's too stupid to listen to our show. We, you should have heard. We've bashed him many a times on the show, but don't worry. I'll let him listen to me bashing him just to, so he can hear it. But he, he still won't understand, so it's all good. But um, so I, I, I don't want to give this away, and I'm going to talk to you guys about this off air at some point. I'm going to message both of you about it. But I've got an idea for next month. Um, it kind of along the lines of like the the uh, Lawson family murder and uh, the Bathory thing that we did. Maybe not so much a serial killer episode next month. So we'll get into that off air and we'll see if we can make that work somehow or another. So we'll get to that when we get to it. But in the meantime, um, so so now we've knocked out uh, serial killer episodes since the start with H.H. H. Holmes. Vic, was that about a year ago now? It was actually, yeah, man. It was uh, January 2015 when we started. 
still to this day the most popular one we've done is Robert Hansen, though, oddly enough. I still find that odd, really odd. Because it sucks on a person that not a lot of people know. Everybody knows Albert Fish and and H. H. Holmes and uh, you know, uh Dahmer and Casey and Bundy, but the ones that are lesser known but still impactful, people like to learn about things. And people don't like to admit that they want to know about that stuff, but they do. I always find that interesting that that people, and we talk about this, I mean, every time I have somebody on that's an expert on the subject, I always ask them about it, but, I mean, I don't know why people are so, why can't you just admit that you're interested in it? People are interested in Hitler, and nobody has a problem Mm -hmm. with them being interested in that subject. I mean, that's a hell of a lot worse than anything that we're talking about tonight. Yeah, he's responsible for like six million deaths. Yeah, that's... A little bit more. That's a hell of a lot more substantial. I don't know. It's just people. People just have this thing. They they just they closet themselves, and, and that's something else, you know. That uh, well, we could even go back to Nightmare Two and talk about, you know, Freddy Krueger and the idea of that of, of Freddy Krueger, you know, represents the desire people want to fulfill their darkest, innermost fantasies, and a lot of times it's death or coming close to death. People want to know what it's like. They want to know what it's like to hold that power in their hands. And it's people just refuse to admit it. I don't. I've always known that there is a darkness in me, and I like to channel that towards more creative things and, and express that. This is why, I, you know, I study the serial killers, and I'm a big proponent of horror and Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger and all that good stuff. I just acknowledge that's in me, and that's, that's the key to Robert Engel's success, Wes Craven said himself. He acknowledged the fact that he knew he could be evil. He relished going to that place. He had it within him, and that's why he sold me on playing Freddy Krueger. And that can be said about studying anything. You know, I mean, acknowledge that you want to do it, you know, but I think it's just the taboo of that, you know. Oh, I don't want to tell anybody that I study serial killers because they're going to think of me in a weird way. Let them. Well, <laughs> I like that. I like it. Yeah, it's true. Let them. I share stuff with Vic online all the time, don't I, Vic? What's up? I share stuff with you <laughs> online all the time, serial killer yeah. stuff, don't I? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we say something that's usually disturbing and upset people, and you lose <laughs> friends over it. I probably <laughs> lost friends, and I just didn't realize it. Yeah, I, I get blocked a lot uh, over serial killers. It's pretty funny. I get by the way, to be fair for everybody, he brought up Albert Fish. Albert Fish is still on our to-do list. So at some point yes. we will talk. <laughs> Who's chiming in? Oh, I'm sorry. It's Jen. I was, I'm was. i super excited. If you guys do Albert Fish, I'll be stoked. <laughs> hey, Jen, i got to ask you this. Okay, so we used to have a, a friend that would come on the show until she uh, apparently got engaged, and, and she's not allowed to talk about serial killers anymore. But uh, <laughs> she was always really fascinated by Albert Fish. Is this a female thing, or is it just because he's so nuts? For me, it's because he is so freaking nuts. Like, the guy is just off the rails, like, you know, beating himself with, you know, nail-studded whatever. Like, the guy's crazy. <laughs> it's just fascinating. So, for me, it's it's not a female thing. It's the fact that he's just very into, you know... I, it's hard to explain. Like I feel like he punishes, punish it. He punished himself for 
being who he was in a way. Um, and, and, and I don't know, I kind of found that fascinating with him. So, Hey Jen, we talked about a subject earlier that I want, I want to know if you think about it too, because you know, you're in an area where a lot of tragedies have happened. Okay. Not so much, uh. I guess, quote unquote, serial killers as much as like school shootings and stuff like that, uh, or yeah. movie theater shootings. Um, how taboo is the subject of serial killers for you and your 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 I guess circle? You know what I mean? Your community. I don't really know how to explain it, but you're just the people you know. So for me, I I typically don't talk about my fascination with serial killers to a lot of people. Um, like my close friends know that I'm really into them and things like that, and I'm sure if you see. You know, if you follow, like, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you might see some of the things that I like. But I typically don't talk about it, and it's not because I'm ashamed of it or anything like that. I think it's just, it's, I rarely run into a person that's like, oh, yeah, me too. You know, like, everybody that I found that's really, you know, studied them or anything like that has been like online or you know my mom used to give me a lot of shit when I was younger for all the books that I read and mm-hmm. she thought I was freaking nuts so I tend to keep it to myself um and it was something I kind of got away from for a little bit and you know in the last few years I've been trying to reread again on a lot of the stuff so yeah this is a question for everybody because uh we talked a little bit about it last week I think uh that show make to uh, was making a murderer. Um, do you think that's kind of like gonna make people start being more interested in it mainstream? Because okay, I'll give you an example. Like I know this is totally different, but okay, so nobody gave a shit about zombies until The Walking Dead came along, except for people like me that like Return of the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead, stuff from the eighties or sixties or seven. You know what I mean? The people that were like purists of that, and then Walking Dead comes along, and I'm talking specifically the TV show, and it becomes this mainstream phenomenon. And all of a sudden, everybody loves zombies, and and that's what everybody wants to talk about. I feel like this making a murder show um, may have the same effect on people, where it's going to become acceptable to talk about those things and, and cool. Sorry, I want to jump in. I- I'm going to jump in. I'm going to say that I feel like people have always been fascinated. I think it's a very closeted thing because, I mean, every freaking Saturday or Friday night, there's a Dateline special about somebody murdered Mm -hmm. here or there. And then, you know, and then you've got Investigation Discovery, which is a channel that's completely dedicated to all that stuff. So there's clearly an audience out there. It's just very closeted people who... You know, either they try and hide their fascination because they're ashamed of it. And I think, you know, I think Blake, I think that he's he's right. Like he, he, you know, we all have that dark darkness in us. And, you know, whether we acknowledge that or not, that's up to each of us individually. Um, and so I think, you know, this making of a murder only progresses what has already been going on for years. So, Yeah, I was going to say, do, do you think, though, that this is going to make – you said it was closeted. Do you, do you guys think that this thing's going to, like, make it less closeted now and make it more acceptable to talk about these things because it other might, people are interested? It might, Travis. I mean, it very well might make it where everybody's talking about – Casey and Bundy and all that stuff, but they're talk they'll be talking about something because 
it's the fad of the moment. I guarantee in a couple of years after The Walking Dead is over, nobody's going to give a damn about that show. You know, they'll be on to the next thing. And to be honest, everybody is entitled to think about what they want, like, you know, Ken just said by, you know, acknowledging it. Thank you, by the way, for that, and a happy uh, belated birthday. But, um, you know, it's like... Uh, I don't want somebody talking about something if they're going to talk about it just because they know some rudimentary facts. I mean, if you're dedicated to something, show it. Show it like we do. You know, do it. Don't do it because it's the fad at the moment. This isn't like Jinkos or, you know, uh, blonde spiked hair or parachute pants or any of that shit. This is something substantial. Killers have been around since the dawn of time, and they're going to be around until the world implodes on itself. So it's like, don't talk about something because it's the cool thing to do. Talk about something because you want to do it. Uh, Vic, this is your opportunity to chime in because I'm going to ask you this specifically, buddy. Okay, so you got to see, you know, the the evolution where you've never been a big zombie fan, but then we went to Horror Hound, and it's just overrun by Walking Dead fans. Are we going to have that type of, maybe not to that level, obviously, but that that type of, you know, I don't know, fanboyism for this, this subject now all of a sudden? Um, no, because... I still don't think it'd be socially acceptable. Um, it'll still be found on by the the mainstream world. I mean, maybe, and I could deal with a bunch of people that walk around and they love murder. I could deal with that. Not oh yeah, and, and and by the way, throw in American Horror Story also. That's another thing that's that's probably fueling that fire. You know, they did that episode that ever, and I haven't seen it. Okay, so uh, but well, and now there's American Crime season. Story. See, what I'm saying, yeah, exactly. And it seems like this is picking up steam as far as the mainstream to where it's becoming the mainstream and not closeted like Jen said. And I I was agreeing with her 100% it was closeted, but I'm starting to feel like by next year it won't be that way anymore. It's going to be right out in the open. Yeah, man, we'll be having fucking killer cons instead of, you know, horror cons. We're going to have killer cons, serial cons. Funny you say that. Funny you say that because a few months ago a guy hit us up about this this like crime con that he was having that he wanted to uh, have a show on and we would have but the dates didn't work out and he was gonna you know he's got like serial killer memorabilia at this show which shit I would love to go to it personally but um, so I'm just saying I think this is gonna be something that that's here to stay at least for the next few years. I mean and it will be and it, and it probably will be but like every other fad that's come and gone. It'll experience a, a down, a down, you know, fall, you know, and and something else will come up that'll be the next best thing. You just talked about the zombies, you know. <laughs> I love Return of the Living Dead and Lucio Fucci's uh, zombie, and you know, Dawn of the Dead, and all that stuff. When, when by the time Walking Dead came out, <laughs> the best zombie stuff had already happened. To be honest, The Walking mm-hmm. Dead does not appeal to me. I mean, I watched a couple of seasons to try to give myself a little mm-hmm. bit of a a little bit of a chance with it, and I just, it's, I don't know, something about it. It's not the makeup, it's not all that, it's just maybe it's the fact that too many damn people survive. <laughs> maybe maybe that's part of it. I don't know, I just got tired of it after a few seasons. I really liked the first one, and then after a while I just got tired of it, which I'm hey, probably I mean, not the only it's, one. It's, it's always the thing, just like uh, January 24th or 25th, yeah. you know, The X-Files is coming back, and I followed that show and watched it since it came out, September 10th of 93. I, I, I thought they screwed life. that up after about three seasons, too, though. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, whenever it's still went away for... You're entitled to that. That's okay. A lot of people didn't think it went very well. A lot of people think Dexter 
didn't go well, that it went on for one or two seasons too long. Yeah, like it went too long too, I think. And Jen and I have talked about this. Don't get me wrong, there's good in both of those in the later seasons. But like if you're going to write an entire book, it feels like the book's kind of screwed up in certain points. As they haven't, It doesn't feel like a proper full book. It's more like this book starts out awesome, and then it's okay. And that's just kind of how I feel about it. And Jen, well, what do you think? I mean, give it a chance. I mean, like I said, I mean, this new X-Files thing, just for an example, they're tackling, they're going back to the uh, alien abduction. Oh, I'm giving that a chance. No doubt about that. I'm giving that a chance. I'm just saying so, that the I Dexter mean, thing just, and the X-Files yeah. thing, it, 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 yeah. just, it felt like it lost momentum at the end. Right, right. But, I mean, like I said, with all things, there's always resurgence. You know, horror goes through its down periods, and then all of a sudden, you know, a certain year, all the best horror things come out. You know, we saw it in 84 with Nightmare on Elm Street. We saw it in 80 with Halloween, or uh, Friday the 13th. We saw it in 78 with Halloween, you know, and then we saw all these others come out. 2000, you know, what, four with Saw, you know, and all these other things. I mean, every everything experiences a resurgence. Everything comes back, sometimes not for the best. Um, hey, I'll, I'll take this era. I'll take this era over uh, found footage BS, though, because I was pretty damn sick of that. So maybe we're going to get something we like uh, a little bit better than what's been going on. So Jen, I, I was, I was, I was kind of asking your your deal here on the Dexter thing. Oh, and I just mean in general. I mean, do you think? that, like, I don't know, certain things like that, you know, maybe kind of, and you and I have talked about this on Facebook, I know, but um, kind of talk about it on here. Do you think some of those shows, like uh, Dexter, kind of, eh, at the end? You know, I do. Um, however, I'm just a fan of Dexter to begin with. I've read mm-hmm. some of the books. I haven't read them all. Um, you know, and I enjoy the show. I'm actually re-watching it again. Um, and I just started the fourth season tonight. But, yeah, I think, you know, after a certain while, like, I'm done with The Walking Dead. I think it's fucking redundant. I can't stand mm-hmm. it. It's the same shit, different season. I agree and with And it's the in the same season. area. Like, if they went yeah. to a different city, because I always wanted to see what it was. That's what I always thought was fascinating about World War Z. Not so much the movie, even though I do kind of like the movie. It was just the mm-hmm. fact that they were telling you stories from all over the world. You don't get that in The yeah. Walking Dead. I, I could give a shit less about Georgia anymore. Stop telling me the same story. Mm-hmm. Go yeah, ahead, sorry. I totally agree. And, yeah, I think that they kind of ended it on, like, a kind of weak-ass note. But, you know, I don't think that they knew necessarily how to end it, but they knew it needed to end. So, you know, Lumberjack Dexter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, they're talking about bringing that back now, which I would be okay with. Yeah, there's a rumor that it's coming back, and that's why they left it with that ambiguous, uh, that ambiguous ending. But you know, like you said, I mean, The Walking Dead is very focuses a lot on the regionalism. You know, one specific area. I think it's much scarier to see different viewpoints pouring in from uh, all over the world. And it's so funny that you talked about just starting season four because two nights ago I just finished season four and I'm on to season five, and it's like. Uh, starting to fall in love with the show all over again. I'll be honest, I've only read one of the books, and I found the books to be remarkably dry. Characters were so flat, you know, and I love the, uh, like, Masuka. <laughs> I love Masuka. <laughs> is I like bad. Angel. I like Angel. I've always liked Angel. Batista, yes, yes, sir. Yep, he's a good one. And to I be honest, even though I don't like Dokes, his character was perfect. Yeah. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> 
I, you know, one of the things that I wish the show would have done that they didn't, they, uh, that the books did that the show didn't do is that in the books, Aster and Cody find out what Dexter really is. And they actually start killing small animals and things like that. So Dexter kind of takes them under his wing and brings them to crime scenes and lets them see things. I kind of wish that the show would have taken a little bit of that direction because um, I always just found like that to be a what? You brought up something here that I wanted to chime in on, and this is totally off the Dexter subject, but it circles back around to Ridgeway. We never brought this up. Ridgeway, uh, at least on one occasion, uh, he, he brought one of his kids with him uh, on one of these prostitute trips, and it was to make them feel secure um, before he offed her. Um, oh. he, he would show them pictures of his kid um, to, to make them feel secure. And, and he didn't do it in front of his kid, but like he told the kid to wait in the car, and then he went and did it. So this is one of those things where I, I just wanted to say there is a nice connection to what you're saying there. Yeah, there, there is. I mean, in the book, in the books, yeah, he tutors them in the ways of the, the Dark Master, and it actually has a name. You know, he refers to it as Moloch. It's this ancient entity that's followed man around since time began, since we crawled out of that primordial soup, you know, and the sludge of the earth. And it's sort of like, you know, he gives it an entity. It almost makes it feel a little more supernatural. Um but, yeah, I mean, I can see that. And, and, I mean, I can see it like with what you said with Ridgeway. You know, he having pictures of his kids and bringing his kids with him and stuff and, and all that stuff. Picture, you know, if you get in the car with somebody and they show you a picture of the kids, the last thing you're going to think is that you're going to get, like, destroyed and slaughtered by this person because they seem to love their, their kids. And, and they're not terribly bright, but they have a strong sense of family. You know, and all this sort of thing. I and mean, we know Ridgeway had a strong sense of family, for Christ's sake. He had a poetical complex as big as the broom, man. It was ridiculous. I mean, he was willing to think about having sex with his own mother. So obviously, there's a strong sense of family. Maybe a fucking warped strong sense of family. But <laughs> hey, Jen, I, I've never asked this question with you on the show, Blake. I'm not sure if I've asked. No, I have asked you on the show, but I'll, I'll ask. Okay, I have a family, and this is the reason why I have to say no, but if I didn't, I would. Would you ever, let's say you could get it for free, okay, would you ever hang a Gacy painting in your living room or in your house somewhere? Yes. Okay. If you had a family, would you? I know that's a hypothetical. I'm saying with kids and stuff. Um, I would, I probably still would, but I would put it somewhere where they couldn't see it. Um, Right. You know, you know, or that they couldn't get to. Um, and, you know, I, I haven't really looked at a lot of his paintings recently. And, you know, kids don't, you know, they don't always know, you know, what that stuff is. They might look at it and mm-hmm. be a little, it's a little weird. But, yeah, I would, if I had a family, I'd just put it somewhere in a more private place or, you know, or I'd just keep pack it away and keep it, you know, just as, like, something to have. <laughs> Yeah, we, earlier we talked about the you know the the death row art and all that stuff, and it's like it's like there's something about me. It's like that is really cool. I wish I could collect that stuff like I do horror stuff. And then I take a step back and I'm like, but it's also really really fucked up, and I don't think I can do that in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah, does it have like serial killer cards out there, or like serial killer like yeah, tarot there's cards calendars. and shit like that? I mean, I'll like, be yeah. honest with you. I've got the I've got the app on my phone that's the serial killer quote of the day. I'm sure you all have seen us post it, but um, because um, we had the guy who actually made the app on our show, 
And uh, it, it's pretty cool. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, so this is what I do with my day every day. I have to check my serial killer <laughs> quote of the day. <laughs> but I tell you what, I, I learned about a bunch of new quotes I didn't know before. Well, don't feel bad about it. I think I answered the question incorrectly before. You said if I didn't have kids, would I have serial killer stuff? And if I did have kids, would I have it? I do. I mean, uh, you go into my home office and, and stuff, and there is Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, bloody fucking pictures, and Jesse. Yeah, Smith's but I'm talking about somebody. See, there's a separation here because I have a ton of Jason and Michael Myers and Freddy and all really that separation, stuff. Travis is separated by fact and fiction. Yes, but it's see, I think that's a huge separation, though. I mean, it's not not really. Think about it. I mean. Think about a guy going nuts and escaping from a mental hospital and offing a bunch of people. Think about Michael Myers. Think about how often that shit has really happened. It happens more often than you think. And I think if you can acknowledge a serial killer in a movie, then it's like acknowledging a serial killer in real life. Otherwise, why would I have all this stuff? I'm fascinated with serial killers, and I love Freddy fucking Krueger, who was a child molester and a serial killer all at the same time. So, And I have two boys. Whom of which in this film would probably have been victims. I think it's one of those things where it's like porn. I can't really explain what it is that that I feel like is wrong about it, but it just is. And you you have to like you just kind of know. And for me, I just kind of know that there's something just that doesn't feel right about it. But at the same time, I can't turn that part of me off either. To where that I like that, and I kind of wish I had all those paintings and stuff. You know what I mean? So it's, you don't have I'm 50-50 on it. Us. We all have a core group of, of horror friends and guests on the show that are going to, the camaraderie of the show builds up a lot of friendship. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, I've become friends with you guys and with Jen and with, you know, uh, a few other people that have been on and off the show. Uh, and, I mean, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a binding, uniting thing. But the difference is, we're educated in the stuff. We we have some sense of a backstory, and we followed it. It's not like something we just looked up today or something we just started doing. This has obviously been ingratiated into our lives for some time. I want to get out to one of those true crime museums and go see, like, because uh, I think it's at the Smithsonian right now, but I want to see Gacy's uh, clown outfit. You know, I want to see that stuff. I don't have a problem with going to see things like that. I think I, I'm just weird about having it at my house, you know, because then I feel like I'm, I'm like, quote-unquote, supporting it, which I guess I kind of am every every month on this show, but you get my point. Everyone? I don't know. I think... I think you can. I think you can support it in a way. Like I, I know this is going to sound really weird, but one of my really good friends is, you know, she's also a super big horror movie fan, and she's got a six-year-old daughter. And they're all. You walk into their home just as if you were to walk into my apartment, and I've got Elizabeth Bathory Living Dead dolls on my, you know, on my shelves, and I've got all this weird. Stuff and I think oh shit, happened. your cat's name was Borden. Why did I even ask you that question? I should have exactly. known. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think I think if you if you I mean if you can explain it to them in a way where it's like, look, this is just an interest, and especially with like horror movies and things like that, you can go, this is make believe, this isn't real, this is just this is just Halloween all the time, you know, sort of thing. Kids can mm-hmm. kind of grasp onto that, and I think if you were to have that sort of stuff, as long as it wasn't overtly like, 
deviant stuff, you know, you could probably explain that stuff away to a curious kid, um, I, you know, and, and make it, I don't, not necessarily, necessarily sound better, but make them, you know, hopefully a little bit more understanding or maybe they accept it, you know, and then as they get older, you know, then you can maybe explain it away. But if it's overtly, like, way deviant, like if you've got, you know, Big deal. Crime scene photos. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's probably way inappropriate. But I think you can kind of get away with it to an extent. I don't know. That's just me. So, so let me let me say this on a lighter note. For anybody who wants to see something really cool from Halloween, Vic uh, did a hell of a costume that my wife did the face paint on. Uh, Vic, Vic had the uh, – there, there's a picture that exists, and, of course, it's kind of like Photoshopped. It's John Wayne Gacy, and, you know, half of his face is, you know, just him without the paint. And then the other half is him with the clown makeup on. And my wife did the the makeup on Vic where he had half his face with the clown makeup. And it looked really, really cool. So anybody go look up Vic on Facebook, Vic Philpot, with an F, even though that's not how it really is, but with an F. <laughs> and um, you'll find him, and you can find his his pictures of it from uh, Halloween his drunk ass was thinking about wandering down the street that way. And a few people actually took a look at his picture and really thought it was Gacy for a second. So that's how good it was. <laughs> yeah. So uh, another question that I actually wanted to pose earlier, um, w- with these things becoming more popular, have you all, and, and I guess this is going to be hard to tell, or, or you know, whenever Jason was at its, uh, you know, at the height of the Jason craze or the slasher craze, uh, you know, people would say, well, this guy got killed and uh, this kid was wearing a hockey mask and so they blame the movies. Has anybody heard anything about, you know, people, well, this kid watched American Horror Story and then he did something fucked up that, like this guy would have done. You know what I'm talking about? Have they blamed any of this stuff for it yet? I don't think so. Not that I've I haven't heard, heard anything. You mean for serial killers or more of the slasher type stuff? Well, anything recently. I'm wondering if they've blamed any of the... Uh, you know, they were motivated by the fact that they saw this true crime story on Ted Bundy, or you know what I'm saying? I, I'm not sure. I mean, not not recently in recent history. I, I kind of like to assume, and this is a bad well, assume is probably a bad word, but it's late, and you know, I'm I'm kind of relaxing at home. I kind of like to assume that the people that do the school shootings are kind of unspokenly inspired by Dylan Klebold and Dylan Harris. You know, I, I think that everybody is inspired in some form. Or other about you know you know going postal or you know something along those lines. I think everybody's inspired you know a little bit by something. Yeah, they take it in their own way. They might dress up like the Joker or you know do something like that or go into a school of kindergartners and gun them down or you know something like that. They might do that, but I think that they all take inspiration and lift it, lift it stuff from other things, which brings us to this altogether you know shocking revelation. In, in horror and, and, and killing and stuff, there is no real original thought. Well, or anything, for that matter. Yeah, or anything, but I'm narrowing it down. I'm being, you know, narrowing it down to a certain, uh, you know, specific set of topics. I do remember in uh, the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, that there was a man in England, of course, who uh, got into an argument with his best friend and and went home and created a set of finger knives and then went back over to his friend's house with whom fell asleep and then he slashed him to death in the face of throat with this homemade Freddy Krueger fall. That actually really did happen. So I See, was it was like, all Robert England's fault. 
Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, well, you know, it's just like video games, the violence on TV. Everybody is like, going back to that subject, afraid to admit this evil within them. It's like, oh, something brought this out. You know, it's nature versus nurture. Something in their environment made them this way. No. Everybody has been pissed off, and everybody jokes, or everybody gets angry. It's like, if you don't quit talking about it, I'm going to fucking kill you. Just the difference yeah. is these people did it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the difference. You know, so it's like just nobody wants to acknowledge that they have the darkness within them, so they want to blame extrasensory things, you know, something that's, you know, like multimedia. They want to bring rap music or heavy metal or punk or, you know, uh, horror movies or video games. I remember when GTA, when Grand Theft Auto first went 3D with Grand Theft Auto 3, Christ, for two years straight, all I heard about was how the game was going to be the downfall of the American teenager and how the, the... the, you know, the, the prisons were going to fill up with people because they get to run over a prostitute or murder them in a car in a game that uh, that's going to, you know, change the world and make it worse and all this other kind of stuff. I, I don't believe that. I believe if somebody's going to do that, they're pretty They're going to do it anyway. They're going to do it. Something in their environment has gone wrong, you know, uh, whatever it might be, something problems at home or whatever. And like I said, I'm a perfect candidate to be a killer. You know, I was abused as a child, heavily growing up. I saw a lot of fucked up things that I wouldn't wish on anybody. But I also acknowledge that it's there. I don't hide it. I tell people. And I tell people that a nightmare on Elm Street saved my life because, you know, if I wouldn't have, you know, I could have very well become one of those people. But I didn't. And I'm not afraid to admit that it's there, though. I'm not afraid to say it's in me. You know, I've felt people before. I've felt like I wanted to fucking hurt somebody. You know, because they hurt me. You know, usually it's not unfounded. You know, usually, but I mean, it's you have to admit it's there. If you don't, that's creating a whole other problem. Blake, I, I, and this is a kind of off subject, but not really. A, a few months ago, I brought this up on a show, and I don't know if you were on the show at the time, but um, and I also brought it up on one of our YouTube shows. Is that um, Death Row Art Show? Again, I keep plugging them because I like. I like the page, but they've said one thing that offended me ever, which it's really hard to offend me. And it was the one thing that offended me, and we'll see what you all think about it, because I have a different feeling about this. And you know how, like, you could say, I could say to Jen or I could say to you, who's your favorite serial killer? And we'd all get it. There's no, none of us would be offended by that. Normal people Mm -hmm. might be, but we wouldn't. Um, But they actually posted, who's your favorite mass shooter? And, like, they're showing people that, like, killed kids and shit. And there was something about that that, like, disturbed me. Because I think, I think the thing about it that bugged me more than anything is that I don't put them in the same class as a serial killer. Even though I don't, like, quote-unquote respect a serial killer, there's something different about what... Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that, too. It's such a different level. Yeah, and, and I mean, and I, I can't think of serial killer wise. I can't. I have two boys, and I studied the first serial killer I ever studied was John Wayne Gacy. I cannot have something of his in my house with because I know he hurt he hurt teenagers and, and little boys and, and some grown men. The same with Dahmer. He preyed on you know teenagers, people unsure of their sexuality and stuff. And my boys are going to be there. You know, mm-hmm. one day, you know, they're going to be teenagers and older men, and I can't, I can't condone the killing of children. Like, I oddly enough, this is where the line between fiction and reality come back. Yes, I enjoy Freddy Krueger, but I also take him the way Wes Craven intended. I, I obscure that pedophilia. I don't focus on that. I focus on the fact that he's a killer. You know, right. because if I focus too far on that, it's like, well, he killed a bunch of kids. They were teenagers, yeah. but 
kids all the same. You just it's just a it's just a matter of, of the line. But school shooters, I can't I can't say I have a favorite school shooters. I don't I don't I don't I don't not glorify. I don't find I don't, them fascinating. I think they're a bunch of pussies that got a gun. You know what I mean? Uh, that's all they are to me. Yeah. And, and I guess that's what it is. There's nothing that's fascinating. Jen, go ahead. I, I, sorry. No, I, I agree with that. I actually, I was just going to say that I think they they got it. Just, to me, it seems like you got pissed off and butthurt about something, and instead of actually dealing with it. Um, mm-hmm. you went ahead and said, oh, fuck this, I'm just going to go ahead and hurt everybody who hurt me or whatever. And I just think it's it's a, it's a shitty passive-aggressive way to deal with your anger. Yeah, and, and I don't know. It, it's just a weird thing, you know. And it's like it, 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 it would seem on the surface like it's like um, – Obviously, serial killers and mass shooters aren't that different, but when you really boil it down and start thinking about what they've done, I mean, one thing is more cowardly than the other to me, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm just, because I, I kind of am interested in one and not the other, I'm not being fair about the thing. But I don't see those as the same thing at all. I think they're totally different things. I think it's as dumb as, as you know, terrorists don't fascinate me either, because there's a big difference between you know, these guys that are fucked up in the head like a serial killer or that they, you know, had something weird happen in their life and over time they did these things and they got away with it and they did it and they were doing it with their hands or they are doing it with a knife. Then some pussy who walks into a school and kills a bunch of little kids, there's nothing fascinating or interesting about that. That's just some loser who needed his ass kicked more than what he got. Yeah. It, I, I second that. I mean, and I sit and I sit think I can't. Having you know, being uh, some having some you know a belief in a religious you know affiliation, having a religious a religious semi-religious background, and having beliefs, spiritual beliefs, I can't condone a person who walks into a church where people are praying to God and mows them down. I can't mm-hmm. that I can't do that's a no no. That's like I can't. I, I guess I can't. I mean, I hurt for those people because you know there have been times when I've been in church where I thought, man. What if somebody comes in here and does something? You know, I mean, it's just sacrilegious. I thought that at movie theaters, you know, because um, after the and, and Jen's home state here, it all started with really Aurora um, with that Batman screening or that Batman o- opening night. You know, that mm-hmm. dude, it, I mean, it's a very, I mean, when you think about it, it's a very closed-in place. There's really nowhere to go. If somebody decides yeah. to do something like that, what are you going to do about it? Not much if they have an automatic rifle. Well, and then, you know, if not that long ago in my my hometown that's like, you know, not even 10 minutes down the road for me with the, the Planned Parenthood thing, you know, like here in two mm-hmm. months I have to go and get my annual there and I'm like, I'm going to walk into this place where this guy held people hostage, shot a bunch of freaking people, you know, all because he's trying to be a warrior for the baby. You know, like, I get to walk into this building here in a couple of months, <laughs> which is going to freak me out a little bit. So, you know. Yeah, and it's, and it's not just about the ghosts of what's happened past, and I'm saying that metaphorically. It's It's about, you know, the fact that that place is a target. I mean, it's a target just yeah. the same as, like, the Empire State Building at this point. Yep. It really is. And, and you know, those those types of things, they don't interest me. I mean, I read about it and I move on. And I'm like, that person needs the shit beat out of him and needs to be raped forever in prison, whoever it is. But, you know, 
I, I could sit here and read about serial killers all day. So, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I always want to separate the two. That's why you all have never heard us talk about mass shooters as a subject on this, because I don't find them very fascinating. Um, closest thing to it was the Lawson family murder, but it was a weird circumstance, and it was on Christmas Day, and there was something, it wasn't like a school shooting, it was a family thing. It was just, Again, if you guys haven't listened to that show, go back and do it because I'm telling you that show is really interesting and and really chilling. So it, it was it was odd. It was odd to say the least. Um, but yeah, next month we're going to try to do something different. We'll see uh, how it works out after I talk to the fellas. Um, for me, I, I don't have a whole lot more tonight. So if, if you all want to, you know, throw anything else out there, go for it. Anyone? <laughs> Blake, you, you got anything for us, buddy? I was gonna, I was gonna let the lady go first, and then I'll follow. Oh, <laughs> he's southern. Um, you got to remember. See. Oh, I, you know, okay. Well, the only thing that you know, I, and I don't, I'm not sure if this was brought up, and if it was, it was probably touched on very quickly. What I actually found really fascinating about all of this is typically serial killers, their intelligence, their intelligence levels are. You know, they're they're labeled, you know, bright to very bright. And this guy managed to get away with tons of murders for over a 30-year span. And he's apparently not a very smart guy. So, I, you know, it makes me question the, the police and, you know, their investigative abilities and things like that. Did shit just fall through and the And their coordination... Or, in their coordination, yeah. it's kind of like with with uh, any of these guys that went anywhere other than one little police, like Zodiac. It made me think of Zodiac because, like with Zodiac, you had all these different police departments from Vallejo to to San Francisco to everywhere else in California trying to coordinate an investigation, and it just doesn't work. Plus, they all have their own motivations through this whole thing. And Jen, just to uh, touch on what you're saying, I called him a half a retard because I swear that's what yeah. he reminds me of. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it any other way. And you said, and you did say that uh, most serial killers are, are, well, thought of as bright, and that's true. Most people think that serial killers are bright. Right? Most people, most of the serial killers, though, if you do the actual, like, if you average it out, most of them are like Ridgeway. So, I mean, I guess they're good at one thing and not so much anything else. I guess we all have to have a skill, right, and a talent, and that was his for sure. Well, that and painting cars. He, he painted trucks very well, apparently. I see, see, that makes me think. I wonder why he hasn't done art in prison. Maybe it's just because they won't let him do shit. But, I mean, it's kind of weird to me that I've never seen any kind of Ridgeway art, uh, you know, like I have Manson and all the other, Kemper, whoever else. And our Kemper show will come one day, too. And Ramirez and all the rest. Don't worry. We'll get there. We we just do once a month, though, so we don't oversaturate it. <laughs> Got to keep them coming back, right? But anyway, Jen, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to throw out? You no. Know, about Lizzie no, Borden, no, your cat, no. or anything like that? I was just making sure. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us again. Um, <laughs> no problem. All right, so next week we'll talk Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Blake, now would be a good time for you to throw out any plugs you want to talk about. Jen, we'll talk later, okay? Okie dokie. Blake, 
Extreme Warriors, yeah. my friend. Anything you want yeah. to throw out about that real quick uh, that you haven't thrown out yet? Uh, it's going to be a remarkable show. It's probably going to be one of the most, uh, you know, heavy traffic shows outside of uh, Dream Master that we're going to have. And I thought, you know, the, the original Nightmare on Street retrospective was pretty busy, but uh, these are going to prove to be far busier, and, and, and you know, deservedly so, because the, those two are the ones in the formal series that made the most money. As a matter of fact, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 made a, a record, which, of course, I'm sure has been surpassed. It was... Uh, uh, first time in history that an independent film at the time swept the box office. It outdid Die Hard 2. It outdid, you know, all these others. And, uh, you know, we're just going to have a great, you know, great, uh, great uh, assemblage of people to talk about it, casting through the work on the film. So it should be very interesting and very fun. Hey, uh, so, uh, and remind me to talk about this next week. Last week, I talked about how Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I thought, was the weakest second entry of the Mount Rushmore of Horror. That's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, and Friday the 13th. Because I thought all three of those were better than the Nightmare one. But when we get to part three, make sure you remind me to compare this one to the others. Because I may have a different opinion than I did about part two. So, it'll be, it'll be... Interesting, to say the least. I'm most excited to talk about this show, so that probably gives you all a hint. Okay, I'll be sure, and I'll be sure to remind you. But uh, outside of that, no real news on uh, any, anything else. I mean, uh, like I said, if you want to hit me up on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com uh, forward slash straightfigure1428. If you want to check out the Freddy Figure group, which is growing exponentially, just search Elm Street slash Bratz. You know, I'm an administrator co-administrator and founder, and then, uh, you know, Travis, our very own Travis Desmond is, you know, a member, so uh, you'll be able to be in, you know, like company there, and then... Uh, and, and Blake's talk. licensed. He's a licensed Fredhead. You have to actually get, you know, online certification for that, and Blake has that. <laughs> True. Okay, I'll, I'll take that as a huge compliment. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you like good metal and hardcore and rock and, you know, good music, with good guitar stuff and all that, uh I'm a guitarist and songwriter for uh, Life Below Zero. You can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Life Below Zero. We're working on a new single called Lessons Learned on Impact, Just Another Saturday Night. That's the entire I, I prefer title. Christian, I prefer Christian gospel hip-hop. That's what I like. Uh, <laughs> uh, is that cool yet? Is that, is that cool yet? <laughs> yeah, I've been spending most of my life living in a gangster's paradise. Word, yo. <laughs> you know, true story, once upon a time, Vic and I got real drunk. Well, actually, we weren't drunk, um, but we were on the way back from Cincinnati, and we were all rapping in the car, and, um, uh, well, Vic made um, Vic made some, some comments about uh, um, basically forcing an abortion on someone with a gun, so... <laughs> One of these days, if I get drunk enough, I'll do the rap exactly the way he did it. Oh Lord, <laughs> Vic knows it was horrible. <laughs> that was back in his lunatic Vic day. See, Vic was a rapper, Blake. You didn't know that, did you? I figured he probably was. Musicians yeah. can always tell each other apart. <laughs> Vic doing his thing in the studio. All right, Vic, Vic Blake. Thank you for throwing that out, because I always want you to throw out your band. One of these days, we'll get onto a network where we can actually play your songs on the air. Um, but in the meantime, I'm working on getting our site to the point where I can actually play your songs. It shouldn't be too hard. So 
if I ever have time in life, I'll get that set up to where people can go click play on there and listen to a few of the songs. Um, Vic, do you have anything you want to throw out, sir? You've been uh, kind of the fly on the wall, but that's generally how you are on these serial killer episodes. But, you know, it's been a nice discussion regardless. I'll just say this about serial killers. Don't try this at home. It's dangerous. Don't. <laughs> yeah, and you'll get caught. Okay, See, that's the worst part. I don't want to get caught. That's why I don't do it. Because I figure I, eventually I would. I mean, we all got a little bit of it in us. Some of us more than others. Some of us are born killers. Some of us are born with the devil beside our bed. Just don't do it. That's it. I am the um, devil, and I'm doing I'm doing the devil's work. So, yeah, fair enough. Um, you all can find us on WordPress, travinvichor.wordpress.com. I will... Uh, confer with Blake and get our final guest list for Nightmare on Elm Street 3, or at least tentative final list. I'll get us a, a link and everything up uh, this week for sure uh, up there. Also, you can find us on Facebook, Travis and Vic's Horror Adventure, or Drunken Horror Adventures. Vic was cool enough to uh, boost our uh, likes. I know that was you, Vic. Good job. Um, on Twitter, we're at Travis and Vic Horror, just like we are on Periscope. One of these days we'll get back on there whenever I decide I've had enough to drink to the point where it's going to be amusing. Um, and then also we're on Instagram at Travis and Vicor. Maybe it's at Travis and Vicor. You can find us. It's not that hard. We don't use it enough. I'll tell you that much. We should. Um, maybe in our, our next horror convention we'll do. We'll pop open the Instagram, take a ton of pictures. Um, I don't have anything else. Uh, I'm at Phenomenal PLD on Twitter. Vic's at Vic Von Eric. Um, Blake is not on Twitter, and I don't blame him because half the time I don't check it either. So, uh, oh, but we do Twitter. use just our Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, there you go. Well, I do use our Twitter, but I don't use my own most of the time, other than to like scroll through the feed. In fact, most people that follow me, I end up muting them so I don't have to look at them. But um, <laughs> that's only if you're talking about stupid shit. So, I mean, I'll follow you, but chances are I'll just mute you, kind of like I do on Facebook for people that are annoying. No, neither one of you. I actually see your post. Blake never posts anything, but Vic, I see yours. So. What do you mean I never post anything? What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you don't post on Facebook other than plugging the show, which I appreciate, by the way. I post when there's something about mention. See, you're not one of those people that's, like, overposting on Facebook. Yeah, I don't want to contribute to the problem. That's the problem. There you go. A bunch of stupid shit. It doesn't matter. See, he didn't want to oversaturate Facebook with too much Blake. Yeah, there's an idea of saturation, you know, something illusory. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. Uh, well, we'll be back 9 p.m. next week, same bat time, same bat channel. You fellas have a good night and try to dream of serial killers. Later on, fellas. Later on. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.